Please turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 24. We've been studying Genesis for several months now. We come to a section that seems to me appropriate for the start of the new year. It deals with ascertaining God's will in a particular area. I was reading an article on Lou Holtz, the coach for Notre Dame. He spoke of how some time ago he set 107 lifelong goals. And if he wins tomorrow, well, he will have filled 85 of the 107 lifelong goals. Well, our number one goal should be, of course, to do God's will. That would have a lot of sub-goals, God's will in different areas. One of my great goals was for my daughters to marry Christian men. That goal is now accomplished as of this past year. Praise God. Well, Abraham had a similar goal. He wanted his son uh, to marry a believing girl. And uh, Isaac is now 40 years old. Abraham, we're told, was old and well-stricken in age. The Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. But he wants a wife for his son. And he calls his servant. Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house that ruled over all that he had, Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh. That we would say, put your hand on a Bible and swear. But this was the way they swore in those days. I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, the God of earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, Thou shalt go unto my country, to my kindred, and take a wife unto my son Isaac. Well, here's this assignment to the servant. Go and find a wife. You know, it's hard enough to find a wife for yourself, much less for somebody else, and get the right one. And uh, so this was quite an assignment. Seeking to ascertain God's will. What are some of the principles in ascertaining God's will? Well, the first principle would be to be in a covenant relationship with God through his Son, Jesus Christ. Now, your Bible is divided into Old Covenant, New Covenant, or Old Testament, New Testament. Actually, it's one covenant of grace, one way of salvation, the old administration of the covenant, new administration. We live under the better covenant, the better administration. But it's one covenant, and that covenant was formally stated to Abraham. And the principles of it, the provisions of it, God said, I will be a God to you and to your seed after you. I will do for you those things that a God can do. I will protect you. I'll provide for you. I will guide you. I will be a God to you and to your seed after you. And he promised Abraham that there would be many descendants. And uh, he promised him a land, the land of Canaan, the promised land for an everlasting possession. Uh, well, we, when we become Christians through faith in Jesus Christ, are parties to that same covenant, new administration, but same covenant. Same basic promises. God will be a God to us. And we'll be his people. 
the sheep of his hand. We're adopted into his family. He becomes our heavenly father. We have a promised land that we're journeying toward. Heaven, that Canaan pictured, typified. Abraham, we're told, believed God, and it was reckoned unto him for righteousness. He was accounted sinless, although he was a sinner. We've seen him sin on a number of occasions, lie about his wife and other things. But uh, when he had faith in God's promises, he was accounted sinless and accepted by a holy God. Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned unto him for righteousness. In the New Testament, the new administration of the covenant, Paul says, how is Abraham saved? And he quotes that verse. He says, we're saved the same way. Only ours is through faith in God's promise to forgive us through Jesus Christ. It's not by our works, not by our good deeds, lest any man should boast. But it's a gift. Salvation or justification, legal clearance, a sheer gift through faith in God's Son who died for our sins. Establish a covenant relationship. That's how you establish it. That's the start of finding God's will for your life in any area. Second, move within the context of God's revealed will. Uh, Abraham didn't know what girl God wanted Isaac to marry, but he knew it was God's will that Isaac marry, because he had promised Abraham that his descendants that God would be a God to would come through Isaac. So he knew it was God's will. And he knew it was God's will that he marry a believer, not a Canaanite, not an unbeliever. And so he gives instruction uh, to his servant. Thou shalt go to my country, to my kindred, and take a wife unto my son Isaac. You shall not take a wife of the daughters of the Canaanites. The servant said, Peradventure the woman will not be willing to follow me unto this land. Uh, should I bring thy son again unto the land from whence thou camest? Is it okay if I take Isaac back with me and show the woman what she's getting? She may not buy a pig and a poke. Abraham said, no siree. Don't you take my son back there. He's trying to move within the context of God's revealed will. God had called him out of there to this land. He told him to stay in this land. So he said, don't you take my son back. He'll be tempted to stay back there. Uh, so he's moving within the context of God's revealed will. As you seek God's will, uh, in any given area, our starting point is what he's told us in Scripture. And uh, I know it cannot be his will if it's running contrary to that. Here's a young lady who wants a husband. And uh, she's a Christian, and this young man comes along, very nice, uh, hard worker, etc., nice-looking, but not a Christian. And she had prayed, and she had said, God, let me meet the man this year. And she met him the last day of the year. And she says, surely this must be it. And the fact that he's not a Christian, well, I'm sure in time I'll be able to win him after I'm married. No. No, you have to move within the context of God's revealed will. 
And uh, that's our story. Abraham does. Notice in verse 7, he says, The Lord, the God of heaven, which took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and which spake unto me, saying, Unto thy seed I will give this land, he shall send his angel before thee, and thou shalt take a wife unto my son. Third principle, trust in God to guide you. God will guide, says Abraham. You go, God will guide. Believing that God will guide involves believing that God has a will in this area. It involves believing God had a particular girl for Isaac. Uh, God has a will for the man or the woman you're to marry. God has a will for whether or not you're to marry. God has a will for what profession you'll go into, lawyer, doctor, uh, whatever it may be, minister, missionary, where you will do that, whether in Birmingham or in New York or in South America. He has a will for those things. So trusting in him to guide me involves believing that God has a plan. You remember Jeremiah, God says, Jeremiah, before I formed thee in the womb, I ordained you that you would be a prophet to the nations. He had a plan for his life, and he has a plan for your life. Believing that God has a will, believing that his will is best, a huge portion of discovering God's will is desiring his will, having no will of my own. God, I want you to pick my wife. I want you to put me in the profession where you want me to serve you. I want to be located in the city where you want me, and so on. Uh, believing that God's will is best. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body as a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God, that you may experience God's good will. There's a little poem I like. The man of faith, this one thing knows, and nothing this truth can dim. He gives the very best to those who leave the choice to him, believing that his will is best, and believing that he will make his will known, or he will bring me into it. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, write it on the walls of your home, write it on your heart, trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, he shall direct thy paths. Trust in the Lord, rely on him, lean not unto your own understanding. That doesn't mean don't use my understanding, use it. But don't rely on my understanding. David used his sling when he went against Goliath. But he didn't rely on his sling. He relied on the Lord as he used his sling. And he should have used his sling. If he'd just gone out there and said, Okay, God, hit him with a thunderbolt. That would have been wrong. That would have been presumptuous. He should have used the tools that he had. But not rely on those tools. Use your mind. Weigh alternatives. Uh, 
but rely on God to guide you through your thinking or to overrule your thinking. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Everywhere where I know his will, try to do his will. And he shall direct thy paths. He will bring me into his will. He'll get me where he wants me. Fourth principle. Take whatever general steps you can take. In verse 10, notice what the servant does. The servant took ten camels of the camels of his master and departed. For all of the goods of his master were in his hand. And he arose, went to Mesopotamia, under the city of Nahor. And he made his camels to kneel down without the city by a well of water at the time of the evening, the time that women go out to draw water. The servant could do certain things. He could go to the place where he was likely to find this woman. Uh, He could uh, take camels that would demonstrate his master was a person of of substance who could support her. Uh, He could take some goods of his master to show her and to give to her. There were certain things he could do. Uh, Maybe you feel that uh, God wants you to go to college, but you don't have the money to go to college. All right, there's certain things you can do. You can look at catalogs of colleges. Uh, You can write off to Auburn, Alabama, and uh, Troy State, UNA. Uh, You can uh, see what scholarship programs there are available. You can seek counsel. You can come to me. I can probably tell you where to go. And uh, uh, there are certain things that you can do. Uh, And do your part. You notice he went where the girls were. If you're a guy and you're looking for a wife, go where the girls are. If you're a girl and you're looking for a husband, Reform Seminary had got about 300 men over there. <laughs> uh, there's certain things that you can do. <clears throat> now, and notice what he does next. He prays for specific guidance. And since he asks for a sign, verse 11, made his camels to kneel down. And where the women to draw water, verse 12, he said, O Lord God of my master, Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day and show kindness unto my master, Abraham. Behold, I stand here by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city come out to draw water. Let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I shall say, I pitcher, I drink, and she shall say, drink, and I will give thy camels drink also, let the same be she that thou hast appointed for my for thy servant Isaac, and thereby I shall know thou hast showed kindness. He asked for a specific sign. Is that proper? Or is that presumptuous? Well, it's a mistake to always be asking for signs. That should not be our normal approach to guidance. You don't find that kind of thing uh, when you hit the New Testament after Pentecost, when the Spirit has come in a fuller way to indwell and guide his people. So that shouldn't be our normal approach to guidance. But it's proper in and uh, rare occasions to ask for a sign. Uh, F.B. Meyer, in his book on guidance, says, We have no right to ask for signs for the gratification of a morbid curiosity. But we are justified in asking for the concurrence of outward providence indicating 
the will of God. Read Christian biography and notice how often God will guide and answer in some specific way when specific directions are asked for in the lives of the great men and women of God down through history. Edith Schaefer uh, writes in her account of the founding of the study center in Switzerland, Labrie, the shelter, of how that came about. Uh, they, uh, this was after World War II. They were in Switzerland, but uh, conditions were such there that uh, they could not stay in Switzerland unless uh, they found a house to buy. And uh, they had a limited period of time in which to do that, or they would have to leave the country. Uh, they had looked, and her husband was really too busy to spend much time looking. And so it became her job to look in the last day of which she could locate a home came and she had not located a home. As she was out looking, uh, walking, a real estate man pulled up just as she had come to the end of her resources. He said, I believe I found a place and took her to her home. He said, this place is for sale. And it was just ideal for a place where students could come and... Uh, and be challenged and taught the things of the scriptures. And she was convinced this was it, but the cost was way beyond their means. So she went back and she told her husband, I found it, I found it. He said, well, where is it? She told him, well, uh, and she just went on and said, well, how much did it cost? She said, well, uh, and she told him, he said, you found it, yeah, you found it. No way. And she just knew that this was it and that God had to convince him. And she said, well, let's pray about it. And he said, all right. And they prayed. And as she prayed, she couldn't believe it, but she heard herself say, God, I pray that uh, tomorrow you'll send in $1,000 designated for us to purchase a home here uh, to convince my husband that this is from you. She couldn't believe she'd said that. But the next day, a letter arrived. It had been mailed several days before from the States with $1,000 in it designated for them to buy a home. God knew that letter was in route, and he led her to pray that way and answered her prayer and gave a specific sign that could confirm this. I think that's proper to do on certain occasions, just as they did. When a sign is asked for, it should have some organic connection uh, with the issue at hand. She didn't say, uh, let me see a shooting star at midnight. Uh, this had an organic connection. They needed money. Let some money arrive that will assure us that the other you're going to bring in. What was the organic connection here? Well, what kind of girl was he looking for? He says, Lord, let the one, when I say, give me to drink, she'll say, yes, I'll give you to drink. And then on her own, she'll volunteer to give my camels drink also. I also will give your camels drink. You know how much water a camel drinks? A camel drinks 20 gallons of water when he's thirsty. He had 10 camels. That's 200 gallons of water. Her pitcher might hold a gallon. That's 200 trips to the spring. Man alive, she'd be a good wife. <laughs> Hard worker, gracious, considerate. That's a great test. Some time ago, uh, we had a young man here who was a Navy, who was an Air Force pilot. And after one of our missions conferences, he 
came to me several months later and said, ever since that conference, I haven't been able to get it off my heart that maybe God wants me to be a missionary pilot. But how do you know something like that? And I said, well, we could take certain steps. We could move in the direction. Why don't we contact Wycliffe Bible Translators, uh, uh, Flight Arm, Jungle Aviation, and uh, see if they need a pilot with your qualifications. He had some helicopter training and so on. So I gave him the number, and they, he called him up, and he told him who he was and what his background. They said, where have you been? Oh, somebody's given us some helicopters, and we haven't had any pilots. We need you. Come up, and let's see how you do. So he came up, and they checked him out and had him fly, and, and uh, they said, boy, we need you. So he came back and he had all these papers to fill out to make application. I said, well, that sounds like God's really moving you in that direction. He said, well, there's one other problem. I said, what is that? He said, uh, I work as a salesman for Xerox. And I've been witnessing and telling my, my employer about a man over me, about Christ and what he's done in my life. And he's, he's starting to listen. But I'm way behind in my quota for the year of sales. And uh, if I leave now without meeting my quota, he will, it will really undermine the testimony that I've been bearing to him. And it'll, he'll just feel like I couldn't cut the mustard and so I copped out and became a missionary. I said, that's a valid point. All right, let's do this. Let's ask God to confirm if he's calling you to the mission field. Let's ask that he would confirm that by allowing you to make your quarter in plenty of time before uh, you had to leave. I said, all right. So he went back to the office. He took his papers. He filled them out. He didn't want to put them in the mail bag there at the office because he hadn't yet talked to his boss about leaving. So he walks down the street to the corner mailbox, puts it in there, walks back, and his phone was ringing, picked it up. A man placed an order for five times his quota. God confirmed uh, this call to the mission field. Jim and Sue Akavenko now have been missionary with the jungle aviation there for probably 15 years now and doing a super job. It should, uh, uh, it should be organically related to the issue at hand. And we need to avoid premature conclusions about God's leading. He sets this test up, and as soon as he speaks, it says in verse 15, came to pass before he had done speaking to the Lord. Behold, Rebekah came out, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, with her pitcher upon her shoulder. And the damsel was very fair to look upon. That's interesting, isn't it? You know, the danger of letting God pick for you, he might pick an ugly one. But the damsel was very fair to look upon. Uh, she went down to the well, filled her pitcher, came up, and the servant ran to meet her and said, Let me, I pray thee, drink a little water of thy pitcher. She said, Drink, my lord. And she hasted and let down her pitcher upon her hand, gave him a drink. And when she had done giving him a drink, she said, And I will draw water for thy camels also until they've done drinking. And she does this. In verse 21, the man wondering at her held his peace to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. You notice he, he doesn't jump to conclusions. Uh, 
He avoids premature conclusions. If it had been me, I'd have been on the phone saying, Abraham, I got her. I got her. No, he bides his time. Let's see how the whole thing falls out. Uh, He takes uh, some rings and bracelets that he's brought with him and gives them to her, gold bracelets. Tells her who he is. She runs the home and tells her brother who comes out. Tells her father who comes out, Abraham's brother. And... uh, Uh, he uh, invites the man in to stay with him, and they feed him a meal, still not knowing what his mission is. But as he sits there, before he eats, in verse 33, he said, I will not eat until I've told my errand. And they said, speak on. And he tells why he's come. And uh, then he says in verse 50, he says, uh, he tells them, the sign that he asked and how God had confirmed it. It says, now, will you give your daughter to Abraham's son, Isaac, or not? Verse 50, then Labram and Bethuel answered and said, the thing proceedeth from the Lord. We cannot speak unto thee bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before thee. Take her and go, and let her be thy master's son and wife, as the Lord has spoken. The next day he says, well, I'm ready to go. And... Uh, they say, well, delay a few days. He says, no, let me carry out my errand. And they call her, and they said unto her, well, verse 56, he said unto them, hinder me not, seeing the Lord hath prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. And they said, we will call the damsel and inquire at her mouth. They called Rebecca and said unto her, wilt thou go with this man? She said, I will go. They send her away. God has indicated his will. Obey promptly. And then give God the credit for the results. He does that in prayer and in public. Verse 48, he tells how I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord God of my master Abraham, which had led me in the right way to take my master's brother's daughter to his own, unto his son. So he gives God credit for the results. One other thing, don't be surprised if later on, the going gets rough. Later on, Isaac and Rebekah had problems. They had problems with their sons, Esau and Jacob. Didn't mean that it wasn't God's will that uh, she was this, the one that he was to marry. It just means that God never promised us a problem-free life. Jim and Sue Akavenko could get over to uh, Irinjara, where he's been flying, and one of their children could die. Doesn't mean it wasn't God's will that they go. God never promised us that we wouldn't have problems. But when you do have problems, it's very helpful to trace back how God called you into the situation and to remember his leading in that. Well, we see the principles involved in guidance. What is it that you would like God to guide you about? Are you applying those principles? Are you in a covenant relationship with him? Uh, Are you moving within the context of his revealed will, not doing anything contrary to Scripture? Have you sought Scripture about it? Uh, If you, uh, for instance, are in some kind of business where you're trying to get rich quick, that's contrary to Scripture. Uh, Scripture tells not to engage in those kinds of things. Uh, The... Do what you can do. Ask for specific directions if that seems appropriate. Be careful how you do that. 
give God the credit. Obey promptly when he does indicate. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. As far as other areas of your life, are you acknowledging him, doing his will in those areas? Another thing that you have here is the parallel in assignment for all of us. In a sense in which you and I are like Abraham's servant, if we're Christians. See, we've been sent to secure a bride for God's Son, Jesus Christ. He's the bridegroom, according to Scripture. We're friends of the grooms, and we prosecute his cause with the bride. Like, like the servant, we're sent to find a bride for our master's son. And we proceed in a similar way. We believe that the bride is there, that there are those there that God will call to himself. Uh, we uh, rely on him as we go. We do those things that we can do. I can learn to share my faith. Uh, I can make contact with people and build relationships, so on. We do those things that we can do. We can get training. But then we rely on him to do that part we cannot do. We cannot open a person's eyes to spiritual truth. We cannot make them spiritually alive. We cannot convict them and convince them of their learned state that they need desperately Jesus Christ, whom we proclaim. We can do part. God has to do the other part. We do our part as we rely on him to do the other part. And he will give success, just as he gave here to this servant. Because God has promised that his word will not return void. That it will bring forth a seed. That he will give us power to be witnesses, and so on. Of course, there's one other parallel, namely, if you're here and you're not a Christian, why then uh, your situation would be similar to that of Rebecca's where, where a proposal is made to you. I make a proposal on behalf of Jesus Christ to you if you're not a Christian. Here was this penniless girl, in effect, and the hand of a very wealthy and noble person was offered to her by the servant. I offer you the hand of Jesus Christ. Uh, he would like a union with you. He would like you to be his bride. But your response must be as Rebecca's. Wilt thou go with this man? I will go. Let us pray. As our hearts are bowed, uh, have you made that response to Christ? Are you in a covenant relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ? Isn't it amazing that he would want us to be his bride, as penniless as we are spiritually, bankrupt spiritually, as sinful as we are, having violated his commandments? And yet he's prepared to unite himself with us, to come and dwell within, to change us, to forgive us on the basis of his death. If you've never committed your life to him, do that as you start this year. Start it as the bride of Christ, married to him. Pray in your heart like this. Lord Jesus, I am that 
penniless one that needs union with you. I come and accept your gracious invitation. Yes, I will go. I trust you to come and dwell within my heart and to forgive my sin. And I purpose to obey you. If you have uh, already been a Christian and are seeking God's will in some area of your life, are you following those principles? Are you acknowledging him in all of your ways? Are you trusting in him? Or do you, do you desire his will above all else? Father, thank you for the reality of your guidance and direction. And we pray that in this year, we would be in your will from day to day, moving along the lines of your choice for us. In Jesus' name, amen.